I first met Dan Perry in Romania in 1990. He was the AP bureau chief, and I was freelancing for the summer. We've been friends ever since. Among other roles, Dan led the Associated Press coverage of Israel and the Middle East, from Pakistan through North Africa, for much of the 2010s. Today, he lives in Tel Aviv and writes the excellent substack, Ask Questions Later. His columns appear in the Times of Israel and Newsweek and The Hill, among other places. He appears frequently on the I-24 Global Television Network. There's no one I've met who better understands collectively Israel, the Middle East, and the U.S. than Dan. So after the Hamas attack and Israel's declaration of war, I knew whom to call. Dan, good to see you. Chris, how are you? We are talking on Sunday evening Israel time. How are you doing? I'm all right. My family's fine, but obviously it's a very tense time. And I mean, there's a feeling of danger and trepidation throughout the country, especially the South, obviously. How did you learn of the attack? I was awoken by the combination of um, a siren's wailing, uh, an iron dome explosion over our apartment, and my wife trying to rouse me from my slumber. And uh, that's in Tel Aviv. What time was it around? I don't even know, but I mean, from... (laughs) Reconstructing events, it must have been around 6.30 or 7 a.m. on Saturday. Do you feel this is Israel's 9-11? It's been called that. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrorist attack, uh, pure and simple, that uh, has about it the sense of a reshuffling of the deck and the crossing of a Rubicon and a national reckoning to come uh, after a time of uniting and mobilization that is a little bit jarring, given that the countries have gone through these incredible divisions because of internal politics. So that whole melange is what we're looking at here. Which is part of what I want to talk with you about. You know, among the many roles that you play for me uh, in my life is that uh, I go to you not infrequently for context around all things, uh, that intersection of Israel and Middle East and the US and the world and, you know, philosophy and music sometimes too, but... Can't we just say the world and all things? <laughs> yeah, we, we could say that. Uh, it, it, so on that context, help me understand the time before October 7th. You wrote just recently, just as those attacks by Al-Qaeda launched a new chapter for the United States, so this attack ends Israel's patience with the strategy it has pursued since Hamas expelled the Palestinian Authority from Gaza in 2007. That strategy was to accept Islamic militant rule in the neighboring Strip, strictly control who and what goes in and comes out, and accept the occasional round of rocket fire. That's what existed from 2007 until early morning, October 7th? Yeah, yeah, I wrote it, so I believe it. Was it the right strategy? Uh, You know, I haven't been shy about criticizing uh, the the strategies of Israel and other countries, uh, but this one... This one is is a genuinely complex matter because uh, because Israel didn't really know what to do with the fact that uh, this terrorist group, which is sworn to its destruction, had taken over this neighboring territory. And it was left with not a lot of good options. So the option they chose, which is not to go in there and fight them door to door and street to street, uh, which would have led to massive casualties on all sides, especially as These vicious cynics are completely uh, unembarrassed to hide among civilians and families and dare you to create collateral damage. Given all that, they didn't want to go in and invade it. Uh, So they had to find a way to to live with it. 
And their solution was as I wrote, to basically blockade it, which of course brings suffering uh, uh, to the people there, but at least it prevents them from importing weapons and, and you know, developing a Sparta from which they attack you, which to a degree we say they've done anyway. What I know for sure is that given that wars erupted in 2008, 2012, 2014, 2021, and 2022, two of them real serious wars with thousands of casualties in 2008 and 2014, and that Hamas is still in charge, and that the, 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 the long-suffering people of Gaza, two million of them, many of them I count as my friends, are under the boot of this Islamic fanatic terrorist group that is running a police state par excellence where they can kill you for having a beer um i i have to conclude after 17 years that it may be time for a change because this has not worked out well now what that change should be really is i mean i think we pundits and analysts should know our limitations this this is such a complex matter that is for military strategists uh, clearly, uh, the blunt approach of going in there with the uh, tanks and, you know, rooting them out is going to lead to massive casualties. Uh, right now, uh, for many Israelis, the heart says, yeah, do that because 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 this can't continue. Uh, but the head says, wait a minute, whereas psychologically we may feel like this can't continue. Um, the landscape hasn't changed. Are we prepared because we've just absorbed 600 people murdered? to lose 6,000 soldiers who are people and to kill God knows how many on the other side, including inevitably civilians, because as I say, Hamas will be fighting behind human shields because that is what they do. Um, it is, is an open question. Is there a clever way to go about this? I suspect there is. Um, is there a way to find a different kind of accommodation with Hamas? That would be a different thing than a blockade, but in some ways would be shameful because they're evil. Perhaps. I, I, I think there's a number of options on the table. What is for sure is that complicating this equation is the fact that they appear to have taken several dozen hostages. Yep. Now, there will be another set of recriminations about the spectacular and humiliating failure uh, at every level uh, in Israel, the intelligence, the tactics, and as I say, the overall strategy that enabled, that enabled these irregular militants to blast their way across the border fence, drive in there by the hundreds, take over towns and kibbutzim for hours and hours, massacre people in the streets, and then march them back across miles of open territory, unimpeded? It's mind-blowing that they yes. fail to degree. <laughs> yep. But that they have, there's hostages in Gaza. And this probably is going to you know, limit Israel's options to a degree. Although the current government of Israel... Uh, a collection of fanatics and felons and fools is so 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 populated by by tough talking ultra nationalists who've never served the any army because of excuses about their religion that you will be hearing that Israel should ignore the the hostages and you know act as if that isn't really a thing and go ahead and let them be executed and what can I say that reflects the moral level of the people who have um, assembled in this government. Okay, so there, there's a lot there. There's the terrible reality that you just described about the hostages. There's the intelligence failure. You've written, others have written that intelligence failure, um, and we'll understand much more about that uh, over the weeks and months and even years to come, but likely did not occur within a vacuum. 
that there has been a lot of context. You've written about it. You and I have discussed it around uh, Israeli domestic politics, around Middle East politics. We haven't really gotten a chance to talk about uh, the pending Saudi Arabia, Israeli, U.S. agreement around peace, trade, military recognition, something that would involve the Palestinians. And there's the geographic reality, which give give this to me just quickly for any of the U.S. audience who might not be as keenly aware of the geography. As you're looking at the map of Israel, you've got the Gaza Strip to the southwest. You have Hezbollah to the north in Lebanon, and I guess uh, going through Syria and on the other on the other side of the Golan Heights. And to the east, you have the West Bank. Uh, over the last several months and over the summer, and including as recently as today, there are regular assaults between Palestinians and Israelis and the settlers. You have the continual threat from Hezbollah to the north. Um, I believe some rockets have been sent into Israel today. What does the geographic reality mean? I ask this because let me quote you again. You also wrote, one might ask why Hamas decided to roll the dice this way, since the group's leaders must know that they are risking their continued control of Gaza and its 2 million long-suffering people, as you just described. Logic dictates the group is hoping to expand the fighting into a major regional conflict, for example, by compelling Hezbollah to open up a northern front from Lebanon, or by sparking a third Palestinian uprising in the West Bank, and even dragging Israel's 2 million Arab citizens into the fray. How realistic is contagion, Dan? You know, it is. I mean, you're asking me to read the minds of people who are uh, fanatical and somewhat reckless, but also not unintelligent in how they pursue their goal. And their goal is for the Middle East to be up in flames and for the Jewish state to be, uh, well, diminished and if possible, eliminated. So, and they're willing to pay almost any price for it. Not that they have asked the, the population that will suffer on their side. Both Hamas and uh, Hezbollah, to a certain degree, take orders from Iran, especially Hezbollah. If uh, Iran wants to create a multi-front war for Israel, then it certainly could. Um, Hezbollah would probably comply. Uh, that would be devastating for Lebanon. There's a point where Israel's going to feel it has to make a point and strike back very hard. I think we're probably there already. But if Hezbollah starts firing rockets at cities in Israel and you have hundreds more killed, not thousands, if not more, then th that will lead to a very dark place. The basic fact of Israel's geography, uh, as you described and as you put it, is that Israel is is vulnerable. I mean, uh, it's it's at, at its narrowest point without the West Bank. It's about 12 miles wide. So obviously it can be potentially bisected. It can be invaded. Uh, the, the borders, despite the fact that the country is not that large, snake all over the place. And so the, the, the West Bank border is long. Even a Gaza border, which is only 50 kilometers from north to south and a few kilometers east to west until the sea, uh, clearly they failed to they, they failed to police properly. So I didn't think you tell me didn't you tell me a story once about being in a helicopter with was it with an Israeli leader prime Shamir, minister? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Tell me that story. This was yes. about, about thirty some years ago. Look, here's the thing about the West Bank. If Israel controls it, that's not a crazy idea because then it's, it's no longer 12 miles wide. It's valuable uh, strategic territory as a buffer so that it has a way to defend, uh, you know, its heartland from attack. 
However, it comes with too many Palestinians who don't want Israeli rule and whom Israel does not want to give citizenship to. So it's an undemocratic situation that is unstable and tends to break out in occasional bouts of violence. So to me, whereas the military occupation of the West Bank is still not a good thing, but is somehow defensible, the, the effort to settle the West Bank with Jews, thus making it officially a, a, a binational state where one nation, at least a part of it in the West Bank, doesn't have the same rights, is a very, very bad idea, and it's fundamentally unstable. So the issue is the people on the ground, as opposed to the territory. And uh, Shamir uh, was the head, was a prime minister in 1988 when I was the political reporter for the Jerusalem Post. And he invites me up on his helicopter ride above the West Bank, which I thought was very nice of him. But I disagreed with him then, as I disagreed with Netanyahu now, that the least bad option is to keep this territory and settle it with Jews. Um, I think that is the worst option. <laughs> and it would be even better just to pull out. So there we were above the West Bank, and Shamir looks down. And it was it's difficult to hear if you've ever been in a helicopter, with or without a prime minister. People can't talk. Uh, you have these like headphones on, and there's a lot of gesturing and finger-pointing. He points to the ground, and I could see he was trying to say, See, it's empty down there, meaning there's no demographic problem. <laughs> and that was very telling because uh, the Likud right-wing policy in Israel uh, has been predicated from uh, the beginning on just ignoring the fact that there's all these people there who don't want you there and you don't want them. And that's not going to lead to good karma, despite the stupidity of creating uh, an undemocratic binational reality in the West Bank through settlement. The idea that Israel could benefit from having this territory is not insane, considering that without it, it's so small in the middle uh, and so vulnerable to attack from enemies who clearly uh, have not all been persuaded to become Zionists quite yet. <laughs> so, so that's the fundamental problem Israel faces. It's, it's, it's carrying out some, its basic policy towards the Palestinians has been unwise. But the problem that it aims to fix is a real problem that doesn't have an obvious best case solution. Now talk to me about Israel, its current, most recent domestic politics. Um, you've been writing, you and I've been discussing uh, a ton about it. Three weeks ago in a piece on how you felt Netanyahu was trying to undermine Israeli democracy with bills on the judicial system and more, you wrote, in Israel, that's a recipe for true disaster. The country of 10 million is reputedly one of the world's nuclear powers and is a global hub of, of technological innovation that also sits smack in the center of the Middle East tinderbox. Netanyahu, a criminal defendant on trial for bribery, heads a coalition bristling with ex-cons, fanatics, and racists who want to cement Israel's awkward rule over millions of disenfranchised Palestinians, a restive population with a history of exploding in violence. Uh, if anyone wants more background on your views on the coalition, they can go to Ask Questions Later, your excellent Substack blog, and see some of the pieces that you've written explaining why you've had concerns about the coalition. But you, you wrote, and this is just a little bit prescient, such outcomes have ripple effects. A Middle East war almost exactly 50 years ago caused a global oil crisis. More recently, the Middle East gave us deadly global terrorism and terrorists, including 9-11, Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, and trillions of dollars poured down the drain by American governments in rather futile wars. Be very, very careful with the Middle East. Two questions. <laughs> One. I like how you summed that up. <laughs> well, yeah, well yeah, that, that was your writing. A little bit prescient, no? 
No, just I not. Mean, was it not hard to see? Is that I'm, uh, I'm saying I, I love to be um, called prescient, but really it's not being willfully blind. It's clear. I mean, the government was sitting on uh, a, a, a can of uh, gas and it was throwing lit matches around. <laughs> you don't have to be prescient. You just have to not be an idiot. Netanyahu has warned of a long and difficult war ahead, given the, and we've all seen the protests every, I think, Saturday night in Tel Aviv and elsewhere on the highways and blocking of airports. Will Israelis support him? What's the difference between supporting the war and supporting Netanyahu? Uh, To support Netanyahu at this point, I mean, I can hardly comprehend how a patriot could do that. Supporting uh, remedial action against Hamas, uh, and even simply to avenge what has happened here and to like make the point that Israel cannot be attacked with impunity. I think that's something at this point, Israelis, mainstream of Israel, will not only support, but will demand and will be willing to pay uh, a higher price for than before, uh, because there is a sense that this cannot go on. Now, I wouldn't recommend taking the position that something must be done this stupid act is a thing, and so this stupid act must be done. The thing that they do should be a smart thing. Uh, and I, I would hope that at this point, uh, they're listening to some experts and to the military establishment, because when uh, the security establishment of Israel, and I'm talking about all the former ones, uh, heads of the Mossad and Shin Bet and army and police, pretty much all of them, mm-hmm. and all of the current ones, tried to warn the government, that by sowing such divisions in Israel uh, with uh, the project of turning it into authoritarian fake democracy, uh, they are projecting weakness, harming social cohesion, and could invite attack. So these fools in the government refuse to hear that. Hopefully, amid uh, what is uh, in, in Israel, as in other countries, this fashion about disdaining uh, the educated and the experts and the elites and the privileged I mean, it doesn't get you very far generally. It got Israel to October 7th. So hopefully right now, uh, they're listening to some members of the elite who might come up with a plan that would achieve an optimum of all the goals right now, which is to not kill more people, but to eliminate Hamas or weaken it spectacularly, to deliver a message and to um, deter any such action anytime in the near future on any one of the borders that you mentioned or fronts that you mentioned. I mentioned a moment ago uh, the Saudi Arabia, Israel, U.S. trilateral negotiations that have uh, been going on. Did that play a role? Well, maybe. Um, I mean, you got to ask yourself why Hamas did this when they knew that it would rain hellfire back upon them. Well, that they don't care about the people of Gaza is manifestly evident. So that's not a problem. But they might care about losing their power. One idea was the one I just mentioned, that they were tempted by the weakness projected by Israel because of its reckless government, sowing such internal divisions. Another possibility, and sometimes you can have more than one reason, is that Iran was compelling this, maybe even ordering this, in order to complicate what was looking like a potentially successful effort to bring about Saudi-Israeli rapprochement and normalization. The idea behind Saudi normalization, I think, we really don't know for sure, but it kind of looked like they weren't going to demand much in the Palestinian front. Now, for the Arab world, hoping that Israel will eventually be compelled to be rational about the West Bank, 
one of their levers was that Saudi Arabia had always made that a condition of peace. And Israel wants peace with Saudi Arabia. For Saudi Arabia to throw away that card clearly frustrates both Palestinians who reasonably want Saudi Arabia to do their bidding and not throw away that card, as well as Iran, which certainly does not want to see uh, a strong axis based on mutual security assurances between the U.S., the moderate Sunni world, and Israel. That, that they don't want to see. And, you know, a multi-front war with half the region up in flames and Israel at war with Lebanon now because Hezbollah attacked it from Lebanon clearly is a context that makes it unlikely that Saudi Arabia will be jumping into a deal with, well, we'll, we'll be jumping into this frying pan. So that's a reasonable, you know, logic for Iran and its proxies to pursue. And I suspect it had a role in at least a time. So to close out, what's next? And none of us knows literally, but generally the context, there's going to be a war and bombing and horrible civilian and military casualties. Here's what you wrote on the morning of October 7th. The challenge is this. The attacks have created a psychology of transformation and a genuine sense that there could be no return to the status quo ante, but the actual options on the ground remain as unpalatable as they were before. For Israel's response to be truly different from its policy to date, it would mean occupying the Gaza Strip and removing Hamas from power, presumably to reinstall the Palestinian Authority. This would involve street-by-street fighting by Israeli soldiers against a force of tens of thousands that is armed to the teeth, led by gangsters and fanatics who are absolutely ruthless about putting civilians in harm's way. Israel can expect considerable losses on all sides. It would probably dwarf what happened on Saturday. It also risks executions of the hostages held in Gaza. Any operation that lasts long risks expanding in three directions, the directions that we uh, have described around uh, Lebanon, the West Bank, and potentially Arab citizens. At the end of the day, though, and this is where I'd like to get your closing thoughts, the situation in Gaza is simply not tenable. Two million people with no natural resources, intermittent electricity, no free trade with the world, and no way out by land, air, or sea. Make no mistake, you wrote, Hamas is a criminal organization that seeks only war with Israel and cares not a fig for the people under its boot. But Israel's policy of trying to smoke Hamas out by putting pressure on the population was never going to lead to good things. It is, without doubt, time for a new conception. Can any of us conceive of what that new conception might be, or that's the blank space that we're all staring into right now? Yeah, it kind of is. Um, You know, uh, I'm in a somewhat inelegant position of saying this hasn't worked and we need something else. But I feel it would be unwise for me to start you know, explaining what the strategy militarily should be to achieve that other thing, because it's genuinely complicated. And I conceded that from the beginning. Um, but there are there are various possibilities, okay? Israel could put on the table uh, a dramatic offer to assist Gaza economically uh, on a condition that the PA was returned and make it so generous that the entire world and the entire Arab world would put pressure on Hamas to uh, essentially hand power back over to the PA. It wouldn't be as crazy as you think because Hamas actually never did stop receiving salaries from the PA. The infrastructure is still there for an overnight you know, altering of the situation. Also, Israel could sign a long-term hudna with Hamas, which Hamas has sometimes dangled before it, which means we don't accept your right to exist. We, Hamas, don't accept Israel. But uh, we're going to put that aside for a couple generations and then see what happens. Now, this carries with it the inelegance of doing a deal with the devil. But on the other hand, I don't think that would matter too much to the people who were massacred yesterday in Israel. So it may be the practical thing to do. 
Or you could do like a very, very clever war that takes out Hamas from the air uh, and in other ways through, you know, um, commando operations, whatever, without bombarding the civilian population. That's tough because they're hiding beneath hospitals. But some version of that, a more successful, more pinpoint, more targeted uh, version of previous tactics might be conceivable. I think if you look at the day after, there's an open question about whether Hamas is still ruling Gaza. There's a chance now that the answer is no, whatever might be the price for them. And this may completely reshuffle the deck in Israel because it has clarified to many people in Israel that their true enemy is not the Supreme Court and it's not a bunch of Israeli liberals shouting democracy uh, and it's not the pilots who religious figures in the government had the temerity to like, you know, disdain and curse out and say, go to hell, we don't need you. We're going to pray and that's good enough. It isn't the moderate Palestinians and the Palestinian Authority. It is rejectionist Islamic extremism and its manifestation in these terrorist groups that are willing to take anything down with them, including the Palestinian people, in their pursuit of a benighted future. And I, I can only hope that leads to political change in Israel, because this government must go. Stay safe, Dan. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on.